the Lord gave them their great card. We're seeing what the Lord said about these churches to them. And I want you to begin with me. We'll read Revelation 2, 12. 2, 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days when Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, was slain among you, where Satan's seed, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent or else. Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that received. Pray with me this morning, if you would. Father, we just are so thankful that you've given this to us. Uh, Father, we thank you that it is a message from the qualified messenger, the only messenger qualified to give the message. And we ask this morning as we as a small congregation, a small community, as we are your children, that we would take heed. Father, that we would see that we need to always be mindful of how we're serving you, what we're doing, what we're not doing, what you're pleased with and what you're displeased with. And so as we look at your message to this church this morning, we pray that we might gain understanding, we might learn of you, we might be prompted by your Holy Spirit how to behave and act and do and be before you. And so, Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for a beautiful day you've given to us and one more chance to hear from you in community setting. With one heart this morning, this group, we say with one heart this morning, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being our Father and our God. We thank Jesus Christ for being our Savior and Redeemer. And we thank you, the Holy Spirit, for being our teacher and the one who indwells and the one who gives instruction. May we listen and follow and do what you've called us to do. Help us to know our purpose. Help us to know our work. Teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
the one thing I want you to get today, if you're getting one thing, if you're here for one thing, I want you to get this one. If you're here for one thing this morning, I want it to be this. I want you to see that as we go from church to church in the book of Revelation and we see the qualified messenger, and again, the first chapter gives his qualifications clearly. I want us to see this as a group this morning, as a church. I want us to gain the understanding that each church has its problem. Um, Sardis, not as much, but each church has its problems. And if they had taken care of the problem, it would not have gone on to be a greater problem in the world. We see this church, and the church following this church is where Rome came from. It's where all the auspices of Rome came from. Because they would not take care of the problem in the church. I am not here to beat up this church or say that we are superior, we know better, we're better in any way. I'm here to say this. It's, it's, it's interesting and even strange to me that a church that had the commendations that they did allowed the negative things in the church that they did. That's amazing to me. He said, you've not, you've not denied me. You've held fast to my name. What is the name? Is the character of Christ. You've held fast to all that it means to the world of who I am. You've held right on to that. And yet you have these two things, which were the downfall of the church. And they didn't stop it. He said, repent or else. Now, interestingly enough, he says, repent or else. He says, you repent or else I will come to them who hold this doctrine. That, that is the way he works. That is the way he works. If the Lord says to do it, and you do it, you're not in for the punishment. Praise God. Each one of these churches, and it's a fascinating thing, each one of these churches begins as a message to the church through the messenger, be it the pastor or the angel. It is a message to the church as a collective unit. But at the end, he says, he that hath an ear gets very personal. He that hath an ear, let him, let him. You know how revival starts? Not when a congregation gets together and decides. It's when someone in the congregation decides. Revival begins with one heart. Revival begins with one person saying, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this. And so does destruction, by the way. Fascinating, this church. To the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. Again, notice, as we look at this, we notice this, that he comes and he claims his character traits that are the answer for the problem in the church. We find through the word of God all the way through that the sword of his mouth is the word of God. And it's going to cut people. Oh, in the end of, in the end of it all, it's going to destroy people. The Bible says at the end of the, of the great battle of Armageddon, the Lord's going to come back. His saints behind him on white horses. We're not going to do anything. He's going to open his mouth and destroy them with his... The same mouth that created everything is going to destroy some things because of its authority when it speaks. Through the vibration of his voice. Through the sound waves and the vibration of his voice, he's going to destroy those people who mocked him in the lifetime. I don't want you to see that um, in, the, in the next couple of churches we're going to find out that he says this, those that mock my children in the churches, 
those in the world who mock my children, he said, I'm going to have them worship at your feet. The day's coming, folks. Hang on. The day's coming. And this world's against us. The world's against the Christian today more than it's been because Christians are doing more than they've done. In the 50s and the 60s, um, much of the churches were honestly social clubs. They had, they had uh, pie sales. They brought all people, their junk in, their moldy stuff from their basements, and they praised the Lord with a church uh, sale and gave the proceeds to some, you know what the Lord said? I don't want your, I don't want your junk. I believe that, folks. I'm going to tell you some things this morning that might shock you, but I want to say some things about what the church has become. I have sat behind this pulpit and stood by in here for a number of years saying this. I get no joy out of being under any particular denomination. It doesn't thrill me at all. I have no heart for denominations. This is the birthplace of these things. This is where it went to denominations. And I want to say this very clear this morning, as we look at this, as we look at this, he says, I know. He said, Lord said, I know something. And what a commendation. He said, I know that you're a church and a viable church and a church hanging on to my name and not denying my faith, and you're even in the place where Satan's throne is. You're in the center of Satan worship. Now, that, that throne has moved around in the history of the world. But he says, in your day, the Lord said, he said, I know that you're living and you're conducting worship services toward me and you're hanging on to the proper faith in a place where Satan's throne is. You're in a bad, you're in a, well, <laughs> trust me, I know about these things. I grew up in selected a trade and went to the most liberal town for miles around. And I'm telling you this, I've done battle about every day since I was 20 years old. But you want to know something? It wasn't about me winning or losing. The truth is the truth no matter, no matter. I didn't say it in anger. I wasn't arrogant. I just said I don't believe that because the Bible says, and I made a lot of people mad. I have come to a place at 64 years old. I've come to a place of this. I'm either loved or hated. There's not much middle ground with me in these days in this world. And I've got to tell you this other truth. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And so he says, I come. And the character trait I'm coming under, the thing I want you to know about me is I have a sharp two-edged sword in my mouth. He said, I can slay you with my voice, and I will. Interesting enough, he says this. This is a fascinating thing. I did some research, and I've done research for a while, and this, this person named Antipas is not a person. It's a group of people. I believe that from the study I've done. There is no such person in the historic history. No one comes up with this person. But the name Antipas means anti-papas. It is a group that was opposed to father, pope, religion. It was a group that the church held the authority as a church. And they were opposed to a phony throne. Can I tell you the throne of religion today is ridiculous and it's, it's just nasty? 
The thrones in religion and all the garb and the, the pomp and circumstance of religion today is totally against God's That's right. ideal yeah. of his church. We are here today, and I'm telling you this, if you are born again, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are born again, you stand exactly where I stand in God's view of this church. You're the same as me. I'm the same as you. I have a little different, a little bit different, because I've taken it on. I'll be judged on what I said. But I want you to know this, you'll be judged on what you heard. I'll be judged on what I said. You'll be judged on what you heard, and you'll be judged on what you did with it. As I'll be judged on what I did with it, what he told me. That's the judgment. The judgment for a Christian called the Bema Seat in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3 is not about salvation or loss or lack of salvation. If you're at that Bema Seat judgment, you're saved. You're in the family. You have been born again. You're going into eternity with God. That judgment seat is not about your heaven or hell. It's about this, what you did with your life and how rewardable it's going to be. And their works do follow them. The Bible says, and their works do follow them. When we stand before Christ, I believe with everything in me, I read it more and more, and people fuss with me about this. I don't care. I read it. God confirms it in my heart. I get peace when I pray about it. You were born. I was born. Everyone was born with a purpose for God. And oh, I wish I knew as a younger parent what I know now. How about you? Would you go back when you had those babies and brought them home? Would you raise them different with what you know now? I sure would. I would. You're not a mistake. You're given to us from God himself. And my young daughter, my son, Oh, God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for you. And he's gifted you with everything you need to get that done. Find it. If you're going to look higher, look higher low for things, don't let it be a dollar. Don't let it be the size of a house or a vehicle. Don't let it even be a spouse. You let the Lord do that for you. But if you want to look higher low for something, you look for your purpose in the kingdom and get her done. How are you going to get it done? When I was an adult, my sister brought me a book. It was my book my mother and dad had when I was born, that little book where they put in your weight and your birth and all your birth days and what you Huh? Baby book. I don't show it around because it seems like bragging. But it has a page that says Father's Prayer on the second half of that page below. And it has those little sketches of babies, like cherubs, you know. I will have to look on the front and make sure it's mine. And then on the bottom of that page, second half, it says Mother's Prayer. My dad was a strong, silent type. There's nothing recorded there. He, he wanted what my mom wanted, apparently. He said, you write it. You know, she prayed for me. 
that I'd give my heart to Christ early in life. That I'd live a good, clean life. And that when I had any decision to make, I'd let the Lord make it for me. Can you do better than that? Can you? Can you do better than praying your son will be a clean man? A saved man? A man whose heart believes that God knows more than I know. And if I follow his dictates, I'll be happy and blessed. Well, I wish I would have known that earlier. I wish I would have followed it better since I've known of it, but I want to tell you this. In this church, the church of Pergamos, tremendous dichotomy of thought to my understanding is this. He said, you, you hold fast to my name. You hold fast to the doctrine of the truth. You're hanging on with everything. You got a grip on that. But what you're doing over here, but what you're doing over here, you allow the doctrines of Baal and that of the Nicolaitans, which goes into the next church and turns into the doctrine that is perverted one more step by Jezebel. See, first thing, the first thing they taught was, and it's all about this infiltration idea. That's how Satan works. That's how Satan works. What did Balaam do? He tried to curse for money with King Balak. Balaam and Balak, he tried to curse Israel. God's chosen. He was a prophet to Israel. And the king said, I'm going to give you such and such money, which was a huge, you look back, a huge amount. If you'll curse Israel, I'll give you this money. And so he tried to curse Israel. And God said, no. And so he went back to the king, and the king said, it didn't work, they're not cursed. He said, I'll do it again. I'll raise the ante. Curse these people. Now, if you replace Israel with the church, and I'm not saying that in a literal sense, but I'm saying if you say the world today wants to curse the church, you want to know why? We're a huge stumbling block to the, to the work and behavior of the world. We are the only thing between them and their nefarious ideas. God loving us and watching for us and helping us, they can't understand it. it oh, it frustrates them. They put together a plan and they have the power of Satan behind it, and God thwarts the plan every time. He lets it get so far, and sometimes where they can taste it. And he says, no, not today. No. And I'm going to kill you for trying it. Those are my children. Don't you mess with my children. And I want to give you some hope. He's, uh, he's about to do it again. It's, he, he never fails. He never fails. And the very last, with the Antichrist... It's going to get uglier than it's ever gotten. And he's going to say, you wouldn't come. You wouldn't come. So this is your reward. But he says to his children in this church, I commend you that you held faith, faithful to my name and to my teaching, to the gospel. I commend you. Now Antipas 
and I started looking up this man, Antipas, and there's not a commentary, there's not a history. Josephus doesn't, no one knows of this person named Antipas, but they say it was more of an idea. It was a group who held to this anti-pope, anti-father idea, and said this, no, the church is its own organism. We don't need a hierarchy like that. We don't need someone telling us, we have God telling us what to do in the Holy Spirit. And I agree with that. And I said some years ago, and I've said recently, and we tried it, and I think it should be right. I think the church should be in the round, and people should have more say. I think the church should be in the round, and people should have more say. There's no reason to believe that God speaks to me every week to tell you something, and you have no input. There's no reason to believe that at all. And even right now, I make, I make comments. I, I'm preaching up here, and people look at me, and they smile, or they nod, you know what? You folks looking at the back of each other's head is not the way the church was set up. To be in the round and look at each other, you're looking across here going, well, yeah, they see that. They're agreeing with that. They... It's true. When we, when we see a truth, our heart says amen. When we hear the truth, our heart says amen. Praise God. And so we have this idea of Antipas, those people who were anti the father idea, the Pope idea, not Father God, but Father in the way of a church hierarchy. And he says, I know that you, I know this about you. You're doing all those wonderful things and tremendous things right in Satan's domain. You're in a you're in the pit of hell and you're holding fast. Congratulations. I, I love you for that. And you won't take this Pope idea, you won't allow it. He said, He was my faithful martyr. Those are my faithful martyrs that are not allowing that to happen. But interesting. So he, he says those people, or that person, it says, or those people, they were slain with the sword. But how did he introduce himself? I'm the one that has the sword that kills. They might take your life, but I can take your soul. He said, with my voice, I'll destroy those people. You hang tight. You hang very tight and you stay right with it. I'll come back one day and I'll take care of the problem. With my mouth, I'm going to destroy those people. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. Thank you. I knew that fascination. I told you. And there's more. What did Balaam do? What did Balaam end up doing? You know what he said? The third time, he said, I can't bless, I can't curse the people. And so here's, here's the theory he came up with. If you can't curse them, corrupt them. You see any government ties here? You see any world system working here? You see how the world operates? If we can't curse you, church, we'll corrupt you. What would it take? What amount would it take for you to teach it a little different? Some of the great big churches are preaching things that are so contrary to the Word of God today. We talked about in the Sunday school hour, we I mean it very much, it's to be true, is the infiltration of Satan into the churches. If I can't curse you, I'm going to corrupt you. 
and the churches bought it. I want to scare you first. I want to come and say, if you don't do these things and don't do these things, well, we're going to come and take you down and blah, blah. No, we're not scared of you. Well, how about if I put someone in there and the Lord said, for as good as you are, you're letting lies be taught as doctrine. You know what that does to little hearts? You know what that does to people who don't know the ignorant? You know what that does to new believers? You know what that does to teach these lies to your <clears throat> congregation and let them believe it as a doctrine? To eat things strangled, to eat things sacrificed to idols. What does that mean to you? It means this. To marry into the world system and let the world system be the church. Now they can tell you what you can and can't preach. I got a letter in the mail some years ago. I threw it in the trash. I got, I got a letter years ago that said, we want your notes. <laughs> I don't make notes. We want to know what you're preaching in that church. We want your notes. And it just went across the board to everybody that was known to be a preacher. Everybody got one. And it said, we want your notes. And we want to tell you if you can preach what your notes say or not. I disregarded the entire thing. Well, sure. No, I shredded that stupid letter. I get papers from time to time to tell me what I can and cannot preach in the, in the pulpit in this country because it is now seen as hate speech. That's right. Amen, brother. If I tell you that God made men and women, he made them male and female, and male and female made he them and said this, you're a man, you're a woman. I mean, this is a really crazy theory, but he said this, you're a man, you're a woman, it's going to take both of you to make another kid. That's crazy, isn't it? It's out there. It's a wild theory. It's just, it's just out there. But it's worked for generations. And all of a sudden, it you can be what you want to be. It isn't God chooses your gender anymore. It's it, you choose it. And it can change from day to day. And I can't stand here and say that's crazy. And so I'm not going to say it's crazy, but the Lord sure says it is. And the Lord says this, you're deceived and you're headed for hell. That's right. Amen, brother. You're deceived and you're headed for hell. And he said, the reason I made you male and female is that you can have fruit together and that fruit can pop propagate the kingdom of heaven. You can take other people with you when you go. Now, you're going to have to understand that you're a male or female to get this done, and so let's confuse that issue. What do I do as a pastor? What do I do with people who come in and they're living a lifestyle opposite of what the Bible says? Hang on to your hats. I'm going to tell you what I do. I tell them what the Bible says. I know it. Freaky, isn't it? Yeah, I say, well, let me answer your question with the Scripture and not my opinion. What do you care about my opinion? I don't even care about my opinion. Here's what the Bible says about the question or the scenario you're laying before me. The Bible says, hold your hats, this is an abomination. This is an abominable thing. And if that's a big word you don't know because you weren't in, in Sunday school all your life, go home and look it up. It's an abomination, which means this, the Lord said, I'll come back and annihilate that. I will come back and bring sudden destruction without remedy to that lifestyle. There is no going around and going, oh, well, I thought. No, you didn't. The problem was you weren't thinking. 
I'm so out of the loop now because I was brought up on a farm. I understand that young animals born didn't know what they were, but we could tell. Boy. How is it we're so confused today? Can I tell you this is the last satanic war just to confuse the genders? The first thing God gave is the last thing. Here's, here's how I know the war is about over. It's come full circle. That's right. The war is about over because, because the fight now, the last, the last thrust from the enemy, from hell itself, the last thrust is the confusion of gender, of, of, of gender identity because that's the first thing God gave, and it's gone full circle. He made Adam, and Adam knew he was a man, and he said to Adam, I believe you need a woman. Your life seems pretty easy. I hear you muttering, but you don't argue with yourself. You need someone to argue with. And he said, I'm going to create a woman for you. And he did. And folks, I'm telling you, we don't even know what kind of wonderful that was. We live in a fallen world. In God's creation, in his place, in his environment, under his power and authority, he made a couple and said, I want you to love each other. You know, Adam said, ooh. Don't you know God made a beautiful thing for him to look at? Very attractive. And then sin entered. We lived that life. But here in Pergamos, I'm really baffled because as much as they held to the doctrines of Christ, they allowed this corruption, this infiltration of evil to come in and remain in the church and let me, let me tell you something here. Let me say to you this, that in the book of Acts, as the church was being formed and the council was being held, Christ was resurrected. They, they were out preaching and, and doing miracles, all the disciples, and they appointed James, the first church in Jerusalem. As the church was being formed, there was still a contention between does there, do you have to be circumcised to be a Christian? And they came in and said, no. Paul said, no. You don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. We're going back to the rituals and the rites. That all things are new in Christ. But here's what, here's what they said in the original. They said, Here, here's, everybody's a part of the church. It's Acts 21 and verse 25. It says, as touching the Gentiles which believe... We have written and concluded that they observe no such thing as circumcision, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. The very thing that the council said, you don't have to be circumcised to be in the church, to be a Christian, to call yourself a Christian. But the thing that we say you must do Stay away from blood and fornication. What's the agenda today of the underworld? What is the, what is the one agenda of the underworld today? The slaughter, the blood, the sacrifice of children, 
and uh, tell you they're sacrificing to idols. It's Moloch, Baal worship, and they say so. And they're keeping their blood because it's a youth serum to these elites in the world. You don't think God's going to condemn that? And abstain from fornication. And here's what the world says, and the church is saying this now, many fold. Many of the churches saying this, if you're both consenting, it's not a sin. For the love of God. You don't think that the Lord's going to come back one day and slay people for that kind of teaching? As long as you both consent. Now listen. Both, whoever consenting to the slaughter of children, and I mean that is by fornication, if you forget which home is yours, which bed is yours, which wife is yours, and you end up there, the children are being slaughtered. You're allowing the gates to be opened and the demons to come in and slaughter those children. That's right. And then hey, what happens? The parents come to me and they say, will you straighten out this child? And I'll say, leave me alone with the child. Oh, they have demons. Oh, they have demons. And I say, what's the matter at home? What's the matter at home? I say, I'm not going to judge you. Tell me. I'm, I'm not even going to tell your parents. I'm talking to you. What is your problem at home? And they tell me what's going on, and the demons have such a stranglehold because Dad opened the door, nailed it open, and allowed the demons in, and now he's mad at the children for being demonically possessed. Why do you act like that? And you know why the parents are mad? Because you embarrass me. I'm a Christian. I... You're embarrassing me. My standing in society won't be... If they find out, what, what do you think you're doing? You brought the demons in. You brought the demons The kids don't even know it. And I say, why do you do those things? I don't know. Why do you do them? I don't know. I know. I know. Because when you step outside of God's laws, Satan takes full control when you slip out from the umbrella of the protection of God and you're outside that protection, Satan has full reign. The Bible even warns it this way. It's very simple sounding, but it's true. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. If you're arguing, get it straightened out before you go to bed. That's right. Why? That's when the demons work. When your mind is at rest, when you're at peace, when you're asleep, when your body's at rest, that's when the demons have total control. And they tell you what... The professor came in some months ago and we were talking there and I said this I came to this town in 1976 and I was young and I, I gathered a college age group as my clientele your clientele goes with you which is weird because now I got a bunch of fat bald guys I don't, I don't know what's happening here I don't get this one but it used to go where there's clientele followed you along. And I raised my kids, and they raised their kids, and we, now we're a bunch of grandparents lamenting things together. And, and so at the end of that, we get up and, and we say goodbye to each other and walk out, kind of. That's what goes on. I said to this professor, when I came here in 1976, I started being introduced to and had a large clientele and friend base, I really believe friend base, of students from the university, and what I got from them in our, in our really personal conversations, 
And if you're a barber or a bartender or a preacher, you're going to get in very personal conversation. It gets as deep as you allow it to get. People want to unburden themselves. And what I got from these people was what they were going through in their, in their college experience. All these children from western Kansas, these children from little small towns around, some from major cities around the world, but they all came together and they shared common experiences. But I said, here's what I, here's what I really believe. I listened to them, I learned from them, and I used a lot of it for sermon material and understanding and just a, a foundation of what humanity is like. But here's what I want you to know. I believe this, that in those years, the university was teaching people how to think. And the shift has come in the last 15 years, so they're telling them what to think. That's right. They went from teaching them how to think to telling them what to think. And here's how you get the grade now. You agree with their agenda. It's not across the board. Not across the board. But I also want to repeat this in this hour, if you didn't hear it. I want to say this clear, clearly to you. According to the scriptures... One of the most dangerous things, I believe, is people who believe they're very bright and have been told how bright they are, how smart they are. Because the Bible and the Christian life is not based upon smart choices. It's based upon wise decisions. Oh, or your, your choices will be smarter if you're wise. That's true. You'll make better choices. That's absolutely true. But a wise decision... The choices become very limited when the decision is made. Once the decision is made, choices are just already made. Once the decision is made, the choices are already made. You don't have to keep asking and thinking, should I, should I not, should I not? I've already decided not to do that when I was 16. I'm not going to do that. It's not about smart choices anymore. It's about a wise decision I made in my youth. I'm a traveling man, and I spend half the time on the road, and and every hotel and the pornography is free. Should I turn it on or should I not? What should I do? What should I do? I, no one knows me. I'm out of town. No one, what should I do? That should I? Should I? I, made a, I made a decision when I was young. I'll not do that. That's not a choice to be made. That's a decision to be lived. You see, people think, that's why the Bible says, lean not to your own understanding. You're not as smart as you think you are. You need to be wise. <clears throat> Because, because smarts is a, is a deceptive idea anyway. The Bible doesn't commend people for smart. It praises them for wisdom. I hope you believe that. I'm not shooting at people. If you did well in school, I'm not saying that because I didn't. I'm, not, I'm saying this. I'm just saying be very careful that you don't think your brain is big enough to make the choices God would make. Because what smart people do is they find loopholes. That's true. Smart people believe they can outsmart the situation. Where wise people know this, your, your sins will surely find you out. You can sin, and not everybody know about it immediately. But you know what God does? He brings someone in that you think is simple compared to you and just tells you, this is what you're doing, and it just shocks people. Why? Because it's a spiritual discernment. It's not a smart decision, a smart choice. And so we have this church, and we have this church with this tremendous commendation from God. You've stuck right with the plan, and I so commend you. 
even when people are being slayed, martyred because of the truth, and they won't back down. This government we have today has threatened the church since I've been 20 years old, and nothing's ever come of it. The day will come. Yeah. And you may have to seal it with your life. Oh, yeah. It's coming soon. So be it. He said, my faithful martyr was slain. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. He said, I'm coming with a two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing of thunder of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Lord even knows down to your thoughts and what you intend. He said, but I have a few things against you. On the 14th verse, he said, I have a few things against you. Thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. And the doctrine is what you cannot curse, you corrupt. The story is in number 25, number 25 in verse 1. It says, and Israel abode in Shittim. And the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down unto their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. You know what? You know what I hear most of the ministry I've had in this world? Why don't you learn to compromise a little? Well, why don't you learn to stand fast on what's right? You know when you meet someone halfway twice, you're where they started out? When you meet someone halfway twice, you're where you said you'd never go. Oh, let me meet you halfway. Let me get a little bit nasty with you. And then you meet them halfway one more time, and you're in that filthy circle where they invited you the first time. And you said no. <clears throat> I want to say this to you this morning. The Lord is waiting to reward people with principle. The Lord is waiting. He's just waiting to reward young people raising children. Everyone who has principles and says this, I'd rather have you than money. I'd rather have you than all the things this world can offer me. Lord, I'd rather have you. Is that the honest part of your heart this morning? I'd rather have you. I've seen families ripped apart. Divorce happened. I've been part of that story. I've seen these things happen because of principle. Because one doesn't believe like the other. And says this, you're no fun. You're no fun. And so we have this idea of infiltration. And folks, what I want you to see today in this message is this. This infiltration caused a progression of the downward spiral of the church because it was not handled properly. They did not do what the Lord told them to do. They did not repent, reject it, and kick it out at any cost. They allowed it to continue. And as the churches progress in this book, we go to the next one. The next one, it says, notwithstanding, in verse 20, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffered that woman Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. The one thing the church said you cannot do. The one thing the church said you cannot do in the inception 
You don't have to be circumcised. But there's one thing. Don't commit fornication and do not eat things sacrificed. Don't, do not be part of the world system. I love this David Rogers every morning. Janet and I, um, I, I get up usually earlier and spend some time in, in the scriptures and then we together meet and listen to Adrian Rogers every morning. Here's what you can't have. You can't have that hour. That half hour, I, can't, I won't give it away. People say, I need, to, I need you to come in. And I said, well, not, not, not till then. It's a way to start the day for me and I just absolutely get so much from it. But he was talking the other day and this is why I love to listen to him. He says more in one sermon than most preachers say in six months of sermons every single time. And he has a, he has a way. It's called the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He's a Praise God. Man. He's a studied man. He's a principled man. He's a godly man. And I know one thing. If I hear something bad about him one of these days it's going to be a lie. But here's what he said. He began to preach in the days when free love came in. Free love, free love. He heard free love. He said, I'm sick of free love. He said, love was never supposed to cost something. Isn't that right? Oh, we got free love going. We got free love. He said, it never was supposed to cost. The one thing God gave us for sure for free is love. But not perverse. Not perversion. I grew up in those days. I grew up in the days when it was all about tearing down the families and breaking the families and breaking the yoke and saying that women were under bondage and men were this and women should be that. You know what? Look what it's turned into. Look what it's turned into. Yeah, I'm going to work and I'm going to pay. We couldn't make it without two salaries. Not the way you spend, you couldn't. Used to be able to. You know what trucks cost? Don't buy them. You know what a new truck costs? Don't buy it. That message would resonate all the way to Detroit if people quit buying those. I have to, we both have to work because trucks cost $60,000. Let me introduce you to my truck. Guarantee it didn't cost $60,000. The only thing I have to say about buying vehicles, I have one theory I've kept with since I was 17. It can't cost more than a week's salary and can't be made in the same decade that I'm, that I'm living in currently. Now I have vehicle. I know that's foolishness to you, but I'm saying this. Vote with your wallet. Vote with your... Vote. Yeah. A guy came in one day told me his truck that he just pulled up and cost $74,000. He had to use a ladder to get in it. That's what I want, to play fireman every time I go to the grocery store. Get a ladder, get in my truck. He said, I'm looking down on SUVs. I said, I bet you are. You don't have to stop when you come behind him, you just go under him. Strange, isn't it? Strange world we live in. I don't know, I had $74,000 laying around and, I don't know, I thought I'd buy a truck. Boy, what I thought of him later. Can I tell you this? The very things the church started on, 
the very premise, promise, doctrines the church began with are the things that are mocked in the churches today. I know I'm old-fashioned. I know I'm everything people say I am, and I'm not going to change. I'm not moving. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans were the doctrine of this. Nico means to conquer laity, the people. They were to conquer the people. This is the standing in front of you with the robes and the gowns and the scepters and the crowns and the goblets and all the hocus-pocus of religion. And to say, I dictate your entire life. And when you don't do what I say, you need to come confess to me. Kiss my hand. Kiss my what? Kiss my hand. Tell me you're going to bow to me now. And if not, there will be a penalty. We're going to cast you out. Can I say that's the only good standing in the world is being cast out of one of those places? Listen to me, this is true. The whole thing about this church he's talking about was I know that you live where the false throne is. We get to the book of Revelation chapter 4 and it says, John said, I was... I heard a voice behind me, and he said, John, come up here, and I was taken up to a throne. That's the throne. All other thrones are ridiculous. All other thrones are manipulative to exercise authority over the people, and they can only do that when we grant them the right to do it. They can only do that when we say, okay, you can dictate my entire life and tell me how much I can make and not make and what I can tell my kids. If we say no, the answer is no. That's right. And they have a real problem with that. Why? Because they've decided they need to tell us what to do. You know, there's a 1% of the world that believes they're the elite in this world and they should dictate everything. I don't have to believe that. I'm a guy who they don't like. Well, who are you? Who are you? When I tell them, actually, I'm a priest and I'm royalty, they don't know what to do with that. But God said I am. Right. And he said, you are. That's right. You're a priest. You're a part of the, of the royal line. If you love the Lord. And if you knew what the royal line in the world was doing today, you'd be glad not to be part of that royal line. But we are the kingly royal, the, the royal line of the actual kingdom. And no, you don't have the authority over me. I'm not giving it to you. I'm not going to give it to you. When a policeman says, and it's the way that laws are written, they're all hocus-pocus. But when a policeman stops you and says, do you understand? And you say yes, then they got you. Because they're asking, do you stand under? Do you see me as your real authority? If you say, I don't understand, they can't do anything with you. Isn't that interesting? Oh, it's the law of the sea. Well, I live on land. Too bad. Sail away there, Doc. Don't need you. When you go to court and declare yourself to be a soul, they can't do anything with you. They can't govern you. I'm not, I'm not a bodily entity. I'm a living soul. And they're done because they have no jurisdiction over souls. You're a corporation. Your birth certificate was sold at birth and it's on the marketplace. This church said no to that. Pergamus said no. No, here's what we are. We believe in Jesus Christ and salvation by grace. And we don't need robes and chalices. As a matter of fact, we sit around in a circle and we worship God. 
we look at the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Writ. We look at the Holy Scriptures and we read them back and forth and we say, Amen, Amen. And the Gospels were written to bring us to salvation and all the epistles were to teach us how to live that life. The Christian life, how do you live it? Well, I go to Ephesians, I go to Galatians, I go to Colossians, Philippians. I read Titus and Thessalonians and Timothy books. I even, I even can go back and read where a slave named Onesimus how do you treat a slave? Paul said he, he left. He escaped. <laughs> I know he did. Philemon. Paul said, I'm going to send him back to you. I'm going to send him back to you. And when he gets back, I want you to receive him the way I received you. Oh, how to live as a Christian. That's what the Bible is about. That's what it's about. But we have these, and he ends up by saying this to that person, the overcomer. I'm going to give two things. One, I'm going to give the eat of the hidden manna. Don't be eating things sacrificed to idols. I got something better for you to chew on. Manna from heaven. And he said, I'm going to give him a stone, a new white stone. And in that stone, a name written which no man knows. You know what that is? Used to be if a man was a wealthy man or he had position in a place and, and he would say, uh, I'm going to give you something. Because I love you, I'm going to give you something. And they cut a stone in half. And he put your name on one side and his name on the other half and they'd carry half of those stones. And the man could go anywhere he wanted to go and say, Zach sent me. And they said, get out of here. They, Zach sent me. He said, you got to be kidding. No, he said, Zach sent me. And he said, welcome. All we have is for you. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you a stone. The new name. Because one day you came to me and said, Lord, will you save me? And I said, I will. And he said, I did. And this is who we know you are now. Your birth certificate's null and void. You're, you're born again, and this is your new name. In heaven, you're going to have a new name. And you know what that is? That's an intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. He said, I've always known you, and I loved you. And when you came and asked me to love you back, I said, yes, and this is the name you got. Don't let them tell you who you are. Here it is. Don't let the government, don't let the world, don't let the evil people, don't let them define who you are. You're defined from the throne of God. Isn't that not wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? You don't, and Paul said, I don't even judge myself. Don't even look in the mirror and go, oh, that's not the truth of what you're seeing. Well, some of you, it's pretty bad. You know, the, the thing that we see is temporal. But the thing that God sees is eternal. And we get old and our flesh sags and our eyes get dim and our hair falls out and we get things growing on us. And out of that is going to come a brand new child. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more confusion. I, I get asked about that as much as anything in my ministry years. I'm going to say this. I don't know how it works, but I know this. God said, I'll wipe away all that from your, I'm going to wipe it all away. What if I get in heaven and my mom's not there? 
I'll wipe away those tears. He will convince us through his intimate knowledge and his wisdom and his mercy that that's the best plan. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't want to be here. They didn't choose me. They'd be miserable here. Oh, my next door neighbor, I, I witnessed every time I saw them people and they said they believed it, but they're not here. Okay. The Lord's going to make it okay somehow. I don't know. But I know this. We'll have no more pain. No more sorrow. You look for that day. The great card to the church, and I want to say this, we'll quit some more, this is true. There's a progression in these churches, and if they had taken care of the problems, it would have solved a lot. We wouldn't have what we have today. The problems of the world are at the base of the pulpit. And God says so. He said to the messenger of the church, you tell your congregation this, this is what I expect. Kudos for these things, but you better repent or else. Is it a threat? No. He's saying there's a progression set in place that's going to take you down, your children and your grandchildren. It'll destroy you if you don't stop that now. Cut out the cancer. Cut it out. You guys are a good audience. Be kind of smile from time to time, no reason. I know what I hear from other people is I preach things that most people aren't preaching. I get that. I want you to know the Word of God. I want you to read it with me. Look at it with me. You'll see in the second church, the Smyrna church, that he said there are people there that are imposters. They say they're Jews and they're not, but they're from the synagogue of Satan. You go through the next churches, and we get down to the um, fifth church, fifth or sixth church, and he says this. I'm telling you again about those people that are in your church. They've infiltrated. He said, I'm going to have them worshiping at your feet. I'm going to come with a sword, and I'm going to have them worship at your feet. I'm not looking for people to worship at my feet. I'm looking for the Lord to be the judge. But he says this. You're in a hostile environment. You're in a hateful place. You're in a dark world. It's going to be all right. It's all going to be all right. You believe that? Hold fast. Be strong. Be strong. It's going to be okay. You worry yourself to death and actually do that. Die of it. And then you're out of here. But what we have as older people now, most of us, is this. we got young people that need to know the truth. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Pass it on. Train up the young ones. Father, we thank you for this hour. We thank you for the blessing of being in your presence and in your word. And we just thank you now for the community and this fellowship we have. With one heart, we say we're grateful. With one heart, we're glad. With one heart this morning, we listen to your word and we're so grateful for your teaching and your doctrines, your commendation, and where you find problems and you call them out so that we might understand and not have the consequences. Father, we thank you now and ask you to bless each one here this morning, your entire family. Be with us and teach us as we pray. <coughs> Help us to have a zeal for the Word of God. Help us to get in and grow and understand and study. And Father, we just pray that each one here, as they do those things, feel your spirit wrap around them. Teach them. Comfort them, guide them, 
And Lord, we pray for your peace. And we ask for that now for the children in particular. We ask that you would just rescue the children of this world who are being so blind and mistreated. Destroy the enemy, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.